Welcome to the Generations United podcast, where we share insights from experts from the intergenerational field on how these practices improve the lives of children, youth, and older adults. I'm your host, Donna Butts, Executive Director of Generations United. Today, I'm so excited because we have our dear friend and longtime colleague and senior fellow, Nancy Hankin, a pioneer in the intergenerational field. Nancy is the founder and former executive director of the Intergenerational Center at Temple University. In addition to serving as our senior fellow, she's a national consultant in intergenerational practice, policy, and research. Nancy, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Donna. It's great to be here. So, Nancy, you have been in this field for over 40 years, and I know that a part of what got you started was one of my personal heroes, and you had an incredible experience and opportunity with Maggie Kuhn when you were a young student. I wondered if you could tell us just a little bit about that and how that got you interested in the intergenerational field. Sure. I was really fortunate having Maggie as a mentor. I was 31. I had a three-year-old child. I had just started working at Temple at the Institute on Aging, and I had the opportunity to meet Maggie. And I was thinking about starting an elder hostel at Temple and figuring out ways that older people could come on campus. And I met Maggie and we had this long talk, and we really hit it off from the beginning. And she said, well, just make sure that the older people aren't separate. And because many elder hostels, they just go to their classes, but they're on the campus. And so I came up with this idea of an intergenerational learning retreat. And we, for 21 years, we brought all ages together to live in our Ambler campus. We lived in dorms. We had people from every racial, ethnic, age background. And Maggie was always a very prominent, played a prominent role in that retreat. But more than that, she was a neighbor. She lived in Philadelphia. So I used to go over there. And what was really exciting is that she was a tiny woman. I'm not big, but she was really... No, I was going to say, she had to be really tiny. (laughs) She's tiny. And she was somewhat frail. And she would come in and she'd pat the couch next to her and she'd say, Nancy, come sit down. Let's dream and scheme. And we really talked about how do you do this work in a very intentional way, in a very strategic way, and in a crafty way. And so she was my mentor for many years. And I traveled with her to different conferences. And it was a very mutually beneficial relationship. And she she was just so vital until the end when she was frail and she had to deal with that. But for me, she was just a wonderful role model and resiliency and in persistence, determination. And I know people consider me very determined and persistent. And I must say, I followed Maggie's footsteps in those uh, categories. I think that's terrific. What I remember was, I think I was probably a teenager looking at Newsweek one day, and she was on the cover. And I thought, look at this woman with this white bun. And she was, as you said, feisty. And she had this voice that nobody had really heard from an older person before. She had that really unique and wonderful pioneer ability and tenacity. But the intergenerational field has changed quite a bit since Maggie and you were first engaged with each other. And sometimes I wonder about who's that voice now. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you've seen the intergenerational work change and where you see some of the voice that Maggie had continuing. Mm -hmm. I think it has changed over the years. It's certainly gotten richer. So when, when I started out in 1979, I started the center in 1979, there were very few programs. There was something going on in Pittsburgh and Michigan and a few places, but there weren't the variety of programs that there are today. And it was very focused initially um, in the 80s on dispelling age-related stereotypes. There was a film that everyone loved called Close Harmony. Did you ever see that? 
Okay, I don't think I did. Only, every time someone mentioned intergenerational in the 80s, they'd say, you have to see this film, Close Harmony, and it was about an intergenerational choir. And it was a lovely film, and everyone cried. But it was basically pen pals, and uh, some middle school students and older people pen paled, and then they came together, and they practiced separately, and then they came together and did this performance. And everybody cried. And so there was a limit of vision, I think, then that, you know, oh, we have to do like an intergenerational choral group. And slowly but surely, I think through the 80s, people started looking more broadly and saying, well, what else could we do in the arts is one way of bringing generations together, but there are many ways. And I think service, looking at intergenerational programming to address community needs became much more prominent in the 80s and 90s. And I know we at the center had this lens of, you know, we'll we'll use an intergenerational lens to meet community needs. So whether it was literacy, academic achievement, immigrant integration, family support, we would think about how can older people and young people support each other and support their community. You know, I think, again, as we got into the 2000s, there was more of a focus on other ways to connect people. So where it was really programming, everything was about programming. What do you do to recruit and train and support volunteers? We started this Communities for All Ages initiative, which ended up working in 33 communities. And that was really an attempt to say, how do we go beyond programs? How do we look at space and place and bringing community partners together to look at a common agenda? And I think, although this hasn't taken off as much as I'd like to, I think we're moving more toward not only programs, but also community building and ideas like shared spaces and shared sites. And I think that's really exciting. The other difference is when we started, it was very the focus was on like under 21 and over 65 and it was very very focused and it was only on non-familial connections and as we got into the late 90s and early 2000s I think Generations United and others realized that grand families kinship care issues were really important and there was no need to separate them so when we talk about intergenerational work we're talking about in families in communities related non-related and as we look to the future i think it's exciting i mean the generations united conference was terrific more people attended than ever before there were a lot of people who were interested and had never done something before so it seems to me we're at a really special point right now there's an opening to say you know what can we do now together how do we go to scale and that's where I think the important issue is how do we go from individual programs around the country to saying you know let's look at institutions across the country and communities everywhere and say how do schools how do universities how do housing how do a lot of these places integrate intergenerational work into what they're doing and I think that's where we need to go we need to go to scale at this point. I think you're really right about a couple of things. One is I think there's so much more excitement and interest in this work and in bringing generations together. And I always like to say that it's like folks are just finally waking up and smelling the demographics. Exactly. They're realizing that we have got to look at aging differently, that we mm-hmm. have to change the conversation from burden to benefit and how we do that. But you have been such a leader in that area for so many years. When I think back on everything that you've accomplished, it's really amazing. Is there anything in particular that you're really proud of that you accomplished in the last 40 years? We can talk about the next 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about what it is that you are like most proud of that you can hang your hat on and say, you know, I did this and it worked and I'm really proud of it. You know, that's like asking a mother who's her favorite child. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm proud of a lot. We probably developed maybe 
30 or 40 different programs in all different fields. So one of the things I'm proud of is that I think we pushed the boundaries. We tried new innovative things. So I'm proud of not just doing the same thing over 40 years, but really looked at how can we address a variety of issues. And I remember meeting with a strategic planner once and he said, Nancy, you are all over the place. You should just choose one, either do work in schools, work with immigrants, work with teen mothers, but you shouldn't do all this. And my feeling was part of it's my personality, but part (laughs) of it is that I felt like if we could pilot different approaches, addressing different kinds of issues, then there's a greater chance that this way of looking at problem solving and community building would be integrated and be sustainable over time. I'm One of the things I am proud about is our efforts to work in immigrant and refugee communities, because I think that was very different. We really, and it took a, a lot of work. I mean, for 25 of the or 30 years, we built relationships with refugee and immigrant communities all over the country. We started a program in Philadelphia with college students teaching English to older Hmong residents. And then we expanded to lots and lots of different ethnic and racial groups. And then we replicated with 33 colleges and universities. And I guess we learned a lot in that, but we also learned how important figuring out ways for immigrant integration. So it wasn't just teaching English, it became very much how to we lift up the contributions of older people? How do we look at issues like health literacy? How do we build the capacity of college students to want to work in this area and gain an appreciation of different cultural groups? And then we did a lot of work within different communities about intergenerational relationships. We work with Somali, Vietnamese, Cambodian, and looking at how to connect their young people, particularly teenagers, are trying to acculturate quickly with the elders in the community who are holding on. I remember having a focus group with some Somali elders in Minnesota, and I asked the one of the older men, how is aging different here than in Somalia? And he said, in Somalia, I was like a king, and here I'm nothing. And it was pretty powerful. So I, so I think using a lens, pushing the boundaries, and... Oh, I think planting seeds. That's my third thing that I want. Like, I look back on 40 years, and I feel I've done a lot of training. I've probably engaged or trained thousands of people. And what's so interesting is I have people coming up to me or contacting me now saying, I went to a training workshop 10 years ago, or, you know, I was involved in this program 20 years ago, and now I'm working in aging, or now I'm ready to do some intergenerational work. So I sometimes feel like Johnny Appleseed that you don't always know in the moment what your impact is going to be. But I feel like it's been, uh, I've had some special opportunities here and around the world to share, you know, some experiences and share some knowledge and plant seeds. And my hope is those seeds will grow. <laughs> and they and they are, and they do. I think when you were talking about the shine work and the work with immigrants, I think that, that really struck me is how cutting edge that was at the time and how very relevant it is today when you think about some of the division in this country, that really it's bringing the generations together because they look different than each other in this country, but also for people to realize the ways in which we help to integrate and welcome people into our country. And that's exactly what you were doing. But when you think about, as you were talking about the strategic planner telling you, Nancy, focus, focus, and then you're talking about scaling, that really, I think about one of the ways 
ways that you have focused some of your work the last couple of years and where how you're focused on scaling is with the work that you're doing with us, along with Leading Age and Taryn Patterson. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that work in senior housing to what you found really thought-provoking and where you've been able to take that. Yeah, thank you, because I've really enjoyed this work, Donna, and working with all of you. And I think senior housing is an ideal platform for scaling intergenerational programming. You know, so much of what I've done over these years is creating partnerships with different groups. And often you don't do kind of lateral replication. You work with this partner or this partner, but not necessarily all the people in that category. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of senior housing sites, communities all across the country. So what Tara and I did at the beginning is we did a survey of um, leading age members to see what kinds of intergenerational programming programs existed, were people interested, what are some of the challenges, what age groups they work with. And we got a decent response to our survey and we wrote a report that looked at intergenerational programming from promise to practice because we heard that a lot of people were interested, but it seemed like what they were doing basically were a lot of one-time events. And they really focused on activities, not necessarily relationship building. And there wasn't, again, as much emphasis on building partnerships that could be sustainable over time. So we took all the information there and we got lots of good promising practices. And we worked with six national affordable housing organizations. And we're trying to go deep there. So we had pilots, two pilots from each of them. And over the past couple of years, we've been providing technical assistance and training to them. But we're also, we've also created a learning community. So we share promising practices with each other. And then we created a toolkit. It's called Connecting Generations in Senior Housing. It's on the GU website, as you know. And it's a very practical guide to building partnerships, engaging residents, preparing youth, examples of types of activities, examples of evaluation tools. And this year we are not only disseminating that at lots of conferences, I've been traveling around the country going to housing conferences, but we've also been trying to work with like a couple of like Volunteers of American Human Good to spread the word and to go beyond these two pilots. And I guess I've been pleasantly surprised that there's such an interest. We just did something at the American Association of Service Coordinators and we had 150 people at our workshop. That's a lot. We gave everybody a toolkit. What I know from my past experience is that people get excited at workshops and conferences and then go home and they get caught up in what they're doing. So we're going to do some follow-up webinars and I'm going to work with these organizations to see how can we provide some ongoing support so when people try to do things, they don't get stuck. And we're trying to get people to think about ongoing programming versus one time. I mean, there are a lot of Halloween parades and, you know, Valentine's. And Valentine's. And, you know, I understand people need to put their toe in the water. And I understand that. And I understand that sometimes there are challenges that residents want to go with bingo versus some other things. But I do think the real critical issue is building relationships with youth organizations that are nearby. So, you know, we've seen some examples of people who are working with Boys Home near a place in Michigan, which I'm hoping will succeed in building a lot of relationships. There's a group that decided to reach out to the Homeschoolers Association, which is an unusual thing. So there are all these kids who are homeschooled and need some opportunities in the community. So we're trying to work with these sites to say, how can you 
invest time into building partnerships that then can create many, many programs. And so it's not about the activity. And sometimes people focus on the activity. It's about the partnership. And if there's trust built and everyone's needs are being met, you can do a million different kinds of activities. So I do think that the senior housing work is important. And we're hoping to do even more work over the next couple of years and, you know, get many, many, many senior housing communities invested and involved in intergenerational programming. I think it's so important because I really feel like in the senior housing industry that they're also trying to think about the future and what older adults want and what their communities and their housing should look like. And I think that is a part of why there's been such interest in the intergenerational field and practices and solutions is because they realize that older adults are many boomers as they age don't want to live just with other older adults. They want to have contact with multiple generations. They want to know that there's that future as well as the past. So I think the work that you're doing is really, really important in that area, and there's such great potential for it. And so many of the senior housing, whether it's in rural areas or in urban areas, I mean, there just aren't that many opportunities to connect with the broader community. So it's both changing the climate and the environment within senior housing, having young people there on an ongoing basis, but also getting people involved in the bigger world. So their housing development isn't their world alone. Right. No, I totally agree with you. So you've done so many things and you're really in the midst of this work now. When you think about the future, what is it that you would like to focus on or like to see someone focus on? I really think that this intergenerational work is about culture change. And so thinking about how we talk differently, how we can promote the values of interdependence, not independence, you know, reciprocity, looking at the racial generation gap. And I think intergenerational community building, that the programming can fit into the broader view of how do we bring people and organizations and communities together to address issues from a lifespan perspective? How do we look at obesity, about literacy, of poverty, of housing, and really get people to the table? You know, we live in such a polarized time right now, and it's so tribalized, and we need spaces. We need opportunities to bring people together. So I guess I'm not sure what that means for me personally, but I think for the field, we have to talk differently about it. Like this is who we are as a country. This is who we are as a society. And so the more we can integrate this work into early childhood education, into preparing students for their careers, into, you know, just solving some of the really difficult problems in our country. This is a wonderful opportunity for people to come together and really have an impact and improve the lives of young people and older people. And personally, I have two granddaughters and who are eight and 10, Isla and Olivia, and I'm in a generative part of my life. I feel really lucky to be working with Generations United. I feel happy not to have to have the responsibility of running an organization and fundraising. And I want to both share my many years of experiences and knowledge and also keep learning. I mean, that's part of this time of life. I want to learn more. I want to be involved. And I want to leave a better world for my granddaughters. You beat me to it. I was going to say one of the things that's changed in the last 40 years is now you have two grandchildren. And so it's part of that family and part of your life. And so it's wonderful what you have and continue to create for them. So, Nancy, I know that one of the things that we touched on before we kind of wrap up is 
when we were talking about Maggie and talking about the voice that she had. And I hear from people often, who are the voices that are taking us forward? Are there voices that are taking us forward? Or what do we need to do to help support those voices in that next generation? I wondered if you had any thoughts to share with our listeners on that. I think this is critical, and I think it's a real issue. I do think that we need to get more people interested in aging and intergenerational work. And, you know, there was just a study I heard about, and not as, we don't have enough workers in the aging field. And so how do we prepare people for this field? But how do we prepare people just live in an aging society? You know, and knowing that we'll live longer, people will have grandparents and parents who live longer. One of the things that we have to think about is how can we build a pipeline to do this kind of work, but also how do we raise awareness among young people that this work is important and it's important for them personally and it's important for their communities. And how do we like go into colleges and universities and integrate this into their curriculum? How do we get high school students and middle school students to be exposed early on? There are some voices out there, but I can't say that There are hundreds and hundreds of young people who want to be leaders in this. I've met some people who have, you know, are involved right now. But how do we nurture them? And maybe Generations United can be in a position to identify some future leaders, nurture them. And again, we talk about the transmission of skills and knowledge. We as elders, and I'm an elder at 71, I should be investing time in young people. And I do. My relationship with Taryn is a perfect example. She's 37, I'm 71, and we've worked together on this, and we both bring different strengths to the table. So I think as individuals and, you know, as an organization and a society, we need to create more opportunities for this transmission of knowledge and experience and the learning of new information. Is there anything else that you'd like to say before we wrap today, Nancy? Anything else on your mind? No, I just appreciate you, Donna, and all Generations United has done. And I'm just having a great time at this point in my life balancing things. And I love still having a sense of purpose and being able to contribute to Generations United and the intergenerational field. So thank you for that opportunity. Thank you. It's that whole thing we say that intergenerational work is based on. It's reciprocity. You know, we, we are so honored and delighted to have you as a senior fellow. And the work that you're doing with us wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for you. So it's a great, great partnership. So thank you. And thank you. good friendship. So thank you for listening to us today. I wanted to highlight just a couple of things as we close today. Nancy mentioned our website, which is gu.org. It's chock full of resources, including the toolkit that she created with Taryn at Leading Age. I'd like to suggest that you look there. I want to thank you for listening to us. I want to thank Nancy again for joining us, for being here and sharing her wisdom and experience. We have a couple of events that are going to be coming up. Grandparents' Day is coming up the Sunday after Labor Day. Encourage you to do something grand on that. As well as we'll be releasing this fall our new State of Grand Families report, which is going to focus on Grand Families housing. So be sure to look out for that this fall. And please, please be sure, if you've enjoyed the shows, to leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or any other streaming platforms. We want to be able to share the intergenerational message, not just with those who are already engaged in it and love it, but with new folks to bring people on with us. And as Nancy said when she said it's up to all of us as individuals, Remember, you can celebrate and share and work in the intergenerational programs, but in your own life, if you don't have a friend who's younger, find one, and if you don't have a friend who's older, find one. 
It's what we can all do as individuals and collectively. So thank you again. Here's till next time.